Hello everyone, welcome to Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I'm your host of the show Sanup Thomas. Today we have Charlie Belmo with us, author of NoSQL I, a bunch of other interesting work he has done in the field of information security. Hi Charlie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Um Charlie to quickly start with um people who know you in the industry, uh, your work has been in the open source communities and people actually use it. um but uh would like to actually hear from you how did you get started into technologies and uh, especially in information security journey sure yeah so i started all the way back in middle school when i got my my first computer it was uh i'm going to date myself a little bit but it was like an old windows machine i think it was windows 95 and a lot of stuff still required dos and i got into like the whole as soon as i got online i got immediately into the security community and played with a lot of tools I had no idea what I was doing so I went into programming instead and then sort of stayed connected with security throughout my career. I didn't have a formal security role for a number of years after college so I did programming, sysadmin work, DBA work. I was a manager for a while and then I finally got full-time into security but I've sort of been doing security in all those roles. Uh and that was a good background actually because that made me a much better security professional having all the different areas uh, to draw on. Yeah you you started uh, I mean your background is from from technology perspective so it's easy to get into uh, information securities and um were you a developer before or just development just like kind of uh, part of your work or part of your educations anyways Yeah I start I went to college for computer science and then my roles out of college were mostly web development mm-hmm. uh and then I went from web development into being like a, a database administrator Right. Uh and I would still do some development but that was more backend scripting mm-hmm. uh and sysadmin type work. And then uh and so now I'm I'm still doing programming today uh but I do a lot of more security type programming. So I've always been a programmer and then security was like the extra piece. So when when I do like code reviews or I work with development teams, uh I you know I can talk to them in a way that some security professionals don't have that that, that programming background so I always encourage them to to spend some time at least learning the basics of how to code right do you find it more more easy for people who actually have a uh, developing background getting into infosec will have better understanding of the other side because sometimes like we talk from the offense side um and don't have an idea about like what actually happens on the other side of the story uh we throw some uh, recommendations or some uh, security um buzzwords or security uh you know the big the big topics and and we probably don't know the the hurdles of the developers and does it make any differences with the development background so i, I think it can help it depends on the security role but but certainly if if you're going to be working directly with engineering teams and and helping them improve their coding styles or you know integrating tools to their workflows it really helps to have that understanding of how they do their job you don't necessarily have to have done it but just being able to understand how they work and and their mindset because even a security person if they're sitting and doing a, an engineering work trying to de- deliver a product they're likely not going to be spending time thinking about the threat model and what are all the ways this product could be attacked uh and and just so understanding that they have a different set of criteria that are judged on uh, can really help in working with those teams and thinking about how to integrate security tooling with development tooling uh so i spent a lot of time doing like devsecops and trying to integrate different static analysis and dynamic analysis with agile teams and a barrier to come up with every time is an engineer is going to say look I got to get my my stories in this sprint you know and I I don't want to spend time like 
fixing security issues unless they're prioritized in the sprint. And, and it's easy for sometimes a security person not to understand that there's a, a little bit of a push and pull there between the two teams. So that, that can help navigate it. But I've also seen very successful individuals uh, who don't have a development background and, and they, there's a lot of security roles that, that don't necessarily work directly with engineers. Interesting. So you, your current work is mostly into DevSecOps? Yeah, I, I do a lot with, with DevSecOps. So like I, if you read my blog, you'll see I have a lot of different discussions about how to integrate with like static, you know, static analysis, CICD, um, and just how to integrate with agile life cycles and work with engineers. I spend a lot of time thinking about it. So I tend to write about it, although sometimes it's a little bit, uh, it's not as fun as like the OPSEC <laughs> side of the house. True. Um, your first work was in uh, NoSQL I or what, what was your first uh, prominent InfoSec work? Yeah, I guess it depends how you define prominent. I mean, NoSQL I is certainly the most popular one. Yeah. I did like a, a subdomain reconnaissance tool uh, some time ago. I've built um, just like general wrappers around other security tools to automate workflows. None of those really took off in the same way. Um, NoSQL I has gotten a lot more attention. And I, I think that's because in, in the other spaces I've worked, there was already a number of good tools. And, and I might have been adding a little bit for particular workflows or particular use cases where there wasn't a good piece of automation, but but certainly like at least in the NoSQL space, uh, I don't I don't think it's received as much research or as much attention as some of the other uh, longer term infosec concerns that we have. Yeah, I think at those times um, there wasn't much uh, the exploitation tools for NoSQL. I and at the same time, like NoSQL based database users were actually getting very prominent at that uh, period of time. Um, but from the author himself, like how do you find differences from normal SQL exploitations and NoSQL exploitation? Sure. Yeah. So SQL, you know, SQL injection has been around for a long, long time. It and still there's, does. There's great tooling <laughs> there. It, it still does. I mean, you can still find it in the wild. It, there's been a lot of research on how to mitigate it, you know, use of like object rational models, ORMs to sort of abstract away the database, um, which of course leads to some other potential security issues. Uh, and, and you'll see in almost all, you know, anyone who's starting their, their InfoSec journey and starts doing uh, any sort of, you know, training or learning, SQL injection is almost always the first thing that you learn. Uh, and anyone who comes from like a programming background is typically going to have some SQL knowledge of how to write a SQL query. Um, and so it's very easy for people to start saying, oh, there's probably a database here. Let me try to inject some SQL and see how it works. Uh, and then they may find vulnerabilities or they may not. NoSQL, it's, which for those who don't know what NoSQL is, it's essentially any database-like program that doesn't use SQL. And, and nowadays, many of them actually do support SQL in some ways. Uh, some of them even support full SQL syntax, but the way they structure their tables and their data is often different, and it's usually optimized for a different type of, of record. So it, it might be like a key object store, might be you know where you just have a key and then a record for that key but no real table or schema structure that could be considered a NoSQL database. MongoDB tends to be the most popular these days. Uh, I don't remember the latest numbers, but it's definitely, you know, it's been rising along the top 10 most used databases as well as a, as a couple others. Um, so when you, when you take a look at, at injecting into those, uh, of course, if you try a SQL injection, most of them won't respond uh, because they don't use SQL. However, they have a different set of, of attacks. You can often try to inject things like JavaScript or NoSQL syntax, uh, and many libraries are vulnerable to, to NoSQL injection. And it's just an area that I think has been under-researched. 
Great. And and you made a um tool around that no sequel i um which basically covers not just mongodbs but uh, uh, other uh, vendors as well or other uh, products as well right it it does it's primarily mongodb so most of my testing is against mongo because that's the most popular one right. however the syntax is is some there is some common syntax between the different no sequel database vendors so it it will find some no sequel injections in other vendors although it's not exhaustive. So with Mongo, I spent a lot of time figuring out what are all the different ways that queries can be injected and making sure that I'm enumerating those in the tool and testing for them pretty robustly. If you go look at at some of the other ones like DynamoDB, mm. there there are some similarities, but DynamoDB also has its own set of ways that it presents which I haven't yet added to the tool. So in terms of roadmap, it's still a little bit early, so the tool I I still consider it beta. It doesn't do data extraction. My eventual goal is to have it be like a a single Swiss army knife for all NoSQL injection work. So, you know, being able to to scan uh, an application for NoSQL injections and then also be able to pivot from finding a vulnerability into extracting data and proving it out. Uh, in the same way that that a tool like SQL Map on the, the SQL injection side can can be very handy. I want NoSQL to do the the same capabilities. It's not the first tool in the space, but it's it's the only tool I know of that actually finds vulnerabilities uh it pretty robustly and also can be automated and is just a, a full command line tool that that's a pretty easy to use cli syntax yeah i mean sql map um i actually spoke to sql map folks and uh this is like one of the previous sessions uh, or previous episode actually sql map authors actually came on uh, and then talk about like their work um and it's 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 interesting work because it's uh, it's been it's been used and uh, actively developed and contributed for i don't know i mean since i know about the term sql injections it's all, always been there <laughs> sql i also like uh, i mean definitely when the term no sql exploitations came into mind no sql i was probably the first uh, thought to go ahead and, and try it out um and and you might have also experienced a lot of people started using it and uh, talking about no sql i when you started the project or when you started contributing to the project um what was the more challenging experience for you because when the user base started expanding then you'll find out more different challenges in maintaining the tools or kind of keeping up with their different features or different use cases because it's not just a tool for you it's it's a lot of other community people started using it that's one of the major challenges in the open source communities because um we probably don't know their use cases and we can test with the limited capacities and uh, limited user base but the user base expands and there are a lot of other bunch of questions just keep popping up um anything that you want to share in that area like when when you had any any interesting questions or interesting use cases which you never thought about but contributed from the community Sure. And actually I think that's that's one of the best things to come out of working in the open source community is when when I'm building this for myself, I typically have a very narrow set of ideas of what I'm trying to achieve. And and I can achieve those very well because I understand them well. Uh but then if I if I a year from now have to use, want to use the same tool for a similar situation, it it's possible that the tool that I built with its narrow focus won't won't work as well in that new case. So having open source contributions whether it's raising flags on on issues or use cases where it doesn't work in the way that they expect that helps improve the product so i think of nosqli as a product even though it's free for anyone to go use and and contribute to and so when when a user comes to me and says hey i was trying to scan this website but 
I didn't quite get the response I was expecting or through an error, that's a, a possibility for me to go, you know, expand the tool and make it better so that it won't just work better for everybody else, but it'll work better for me uh, when I next want to go check for, for SQL injection uh, on a site that seems like it's using no SQL database. Um, so I, I don't really, I mean, sometimes it can be challenging when a user uh, is, is asking for something that is, is not necessarily in my roadmap, but then, then it's more a, a case of prioritizing and saying like, I, I definitely want to get to this, but it's, it's probably not the thing I'm going to do next or, or even after that. Uh, and then you can just put it in the backlog. And, and over time, if it seems to garner a lot of attention, then maybe I'd reprioritize it. So if a lot of people are sort of pinging a, a GitHub issue and asking me to, to take another look at something, then, then I might, you know, change around the priority or I'll just, you know, openly ask, you know, can, can you contribute something? Um, we don't have a lot of contributors today, so I, I'd be more than happy to have some more people that are adding their own personal use cases. Yeah, it's also a good uh, area to kind of explore because there are a bunch of other um, NoSQL databases vendors also out there. So like adding those supports also would be an interesting area to, you know, cover up um, and with, with the base of like NoSQL. Yes. Uh, I mean, MongoDB support already there, but uh, like, as you mentioned, like DynamoDB or other NoSQL databases, and it's, uh, it'll be an interesting contributions to make there. Most definitely. There are, are many, many NoSQL databases, and, and the real challenge of trying to support all of them is that there's always new ones, and the definition sometimes changes because NoSQL is very broad of a, a denominator, just anything that doesn't use SQL. Um, so people will call things NoSQL databases uh, and they might mean a lot of different things. So uh, certainly there, there's a lot of opportunity and the, the tool is written in a way where uh, I don't wanna say it'll definitely work for all NoSQL types of databases, but it's written in such a way where it, it's relatively easy to, to add a new set of criteria uh, to test for new different types of data stores. And, and that's really the goal is to eventually expand this to at least the most popular ones by usage uh, and, and even some of the less popular ones and really have it a, a one-stop shop for all your NoSQL you know, injection needs. Yeah, I mean, the point that you made on like, it's it's getting even more broader these days is actually very, um, very timely one because uh, I've seen like kind of people using the traditional DBMS systems like MySQLs or other things, but they wanted to make NoSQL behavior to it uh, in a way. They're kind of like doing more of scaling uh, from, how do I say it? Like it's, it's more of a design tweaks um, there are multiple vendors that kind of customizes these DBs to kind of use NoSQL concepts to scale it like an number order or enterprise way. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, to add all those scenarios would be like a bit more challenging, but it'll be interesting to have them. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, I've seen use cases, everything from, you know, a data warehouse where they have a, a columnar style database, but it, it's a non-traditional syntax. But you also have teams that, they take uh, like a message queue, for instance, and then they turn that into a database, uh, which is not really how it was designed, but it's an interesting kind of use case. And they typically have good reasons for doing that. Uh, and from a security perspective, that, that just opens up a whole bunch of new ways to think about how could we attack this thing? It's, it's not something that you normally would, would model in your head as you're attacking an application, that the back end is, is just a message queue that's in memory and ephemeral. And if the application restarts, then the data disappears. But, but there are applications that, that use them in that way for a portion of their data. Um, and and it's, it's also a way that they integrate between systems. So you know, the ability to scan for all those different use cases in, in a quick way without having to sort of model in your head, I, I think will be valuable to, to pen testers. Yeah, true. Very true. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, most of the pen testers are 
bit of lazy i mean to run the tool and get the get the task done is is the most uh, beautiful thing <laughs> that's my that's my favorite part too and i can just uh, you know type in a command and then it comes back with with all my work done yeah exactly uh currently your work is more towards the user privacy and uh, kind of doing more different side so um how does it feel like being on the other side it it's good so i sort of think of privacy as like a subset of security yeah. so when when i think about uh like like my own personal browsing habits you know and i think about how am i going to keep myself secure online you know a large large part of that is keeping myself private you know how do i prevent people from profiling like how i type for instance and then using that in other ways uh which you know some some sites and apps can do like they can figure out how you're typing and then use that to create a unique identifier for you so so i think of that as you know as a consumer as an individual privacy is is incredibly important so i do spend a lot of time thinking about you know how to protect yourself how to protect yourself online and not just technical individuals because at least like i'm the kind of person where it's not hard for me to you know it sort of hamstring my browsing experience and just general computer usage so that companies can't get a lot of information about me uh but for an average person like if i think about my family and my parents they're not the kind of people that are going to be doing the same steps that i am so i want to be able to hand them easy solutions mm-hmm. so that they don't have to you know think about it but they're still protected against the worst case you know uses of their data yeah in the recent weeks uh, privacy has been like a topic of of the world uh because of recent incidents and recent privacy updates uh from different different companies um and they started asking questions about it seems interesting to bring those questions up uh, from so called non technical people like my parents as well asking about like what you can do with a name uh phone number address and maybe a national id number so can you hack me uh and and the the word hacking is kind of uh it it also has like a broader understanding and and we are only considered about like can you get into my systems and get into my phone and that's where the hacking term comes in but they don't understand hacking information we are no longer living in an it world but it's more of an information age uh and that's where the power is like people who have the information is making weird decisions and making everything under their control and uh, uh bringing i mean ha- seeing all those discussions coming up from non technical or non security people this is interesting to see but to for for an average person um probably using basic technology uh, uh devices um what what is your recommendations to see um privacy um what what's your recommendations on like how how do i know about my privacy is being violated Yeah so it it's not easy information to understand because companies try to make it opaque so they'll hide it behind a lot of legal language you know they'll they'll sell you something that seems very easy to use and intuitive but under the hood it's collecting a lot of information that you may not want that company to have and then behind the scenes that company is then selling and buying data to create a very rich profile of users and there's there's dozens of these data brokers across the world that just focus on building these profiles of users and it can be as simple as like if you download a mobile app for your kids and then your kids are playing and on that mobile app then there's some ads that get loaded those ads are collecting information about maybe your child or you and the device and how you're using it and adding that to your profile so it's very difficult to to block that for an average user there are applications download to sort of limit some of the tracking i my advice to uh, most individuals is start thinking about the companies that you trust 
and, and think about how you use their products and are they well isolated from one another. So if you're a heavy social media user and you spend a lot of time on social media sites and you're clicking a lot of stuff on those sites and then you're going out to you know, sites from that, that social media company, just have an understanding that everything you do on that site and likely the sites that you visit from the social media site uh, can collect information. So protecting yourself may just be changing your behaviors to start. So I typically recommend that people move to like a paid email service, for instance, that's that's not Gmail, uh, that that has privacy as a selling point. Um, I work for DuckDuckGo, so I recommend DuckDuckGo as a search engine to get away from uh, like the Google search tracking. Uh, and then in every area of life, just thinking about you know what can you move to that's a more private solution, um, and that's a good first step. And then then there's technical measures beyond that. But just thinking about how you how you spend your time and and how you use the tools you already use is a great first step for individuals. Right, and and most of the companies actually accepts or kind of take um, their security issues, uh, but I don't see any companies are started accepting or having an open discussions on privacies yet. Like you can't, if you find the privacy violations on the website, there is no way I can actually go and report it. Or I, even if I report it, I don't see if I'm going to get an answer for it. But if it is a, let's say SQL injections, I'm definitely going to get an answer now because security earlier was kind of an ignorance, but that's kind of getting, that gap is getting resolved now. Um, if we talk about like some security issues, there are very limited uh, cases where we see a question back, like what is SQL injection? That's very rare these days to uh, you know get those questions. But privacy is still facing that gap. Uh, but do you, like from, from your experience in working in, in the privacy field, like do you see that gap is in the future? It's like same like how security was evolved. Do you see people started understanding those privacy issues in the future? I, I do. So I actually think that since I first became really passionate about security, it's been more than 10 years and I've always been interested in it. But I used to have conversations with even, you know, very technical security folks about what, what the challenges are of staying private and the risks of data brokers and, and all the things that you can do with the data. And, and even people that, that have the knowledge would often shrug it off and sort of say it's not a big deal or that the common argument of, well, I have nothing to hide. Uh, which is fallacious, but it, nowadays I don't hear that nearly as much. So I, I think there's a lot much more, uh, a better understanding across the infosec community and the technical community and, and even the non-technical community that data is valuable, their personal data is being collected and, and it's being used in ways that makes many people uncomfortable, uh, whether it's highly targeted and somewhat uncomfortable advertising or trying to influence political views um, or even more nefarious things just based on you know, your data and what kind of information you might respond well to. Uh, so I do think it's, it's growing and I think that's, that's uh, gonna continue so that eventually we will see more. And, and I think uh, like Apple started to introduce some details about that and the pushback that that's seen from advertising companies is, is indicative of what we're gonna start seeing more of in the future. Great. I mean, yeah, I mean, we all hope to see those kind of evolutions for sure. Um, and not just uh, security people talking about privacy and uh, user data, use, user data abuses, but um, seeing just the common man also talk about privacy and some uh, sounds interesting. I find it like that's kind of the first step to a better future. Well, I was, I was going to mention that, you know, once one time, one of my common things I'll write about is I'll do a, like a privacy analysis of a company. 
And, and in the past, those were almost garnered no interest. So I would write about, you know, this website is collecting this data and it's doing these things and here's how it's using it. And that would sort of get a big shrug from the community. Uh, but just earlier this year, I, you know, I did one on eBay and I discovered eBay was port scanning of, of individuals' computers on their local host. And, and that garnered a huge amount of interest, including multiple write-ups and uh, much more popular and more, you know, general user uh, areas than my own site. So I, I do think that the interest is growing and, and more and more like everyday publishers are writing about privacy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at least happy people started reading the, uh, the privacy policy big write-up uh, before they click the I agree button because it's always the case, like there is an I agree, I don't want to read the whole paragraph, just go and uh, click a button and then get, get started using it. But at least people, even though the people actually clicked on those links, they go back to the website and read those documents after there is a discussion around it. So that's an interesting progress to see. Like unless, unless there is a community actually talking about it, nobody's going to respond to it. So I feel that at least there is a discussion going on, there is a dialogue going on. And that's kind of um, um, keep things moving on the positive direction. Exactly. Um, before we, we wind up, um, what's your advice on uh, people who are actually getting into InfoSec or people who wanted to start um, contributing to open source communities or, or releasing the tools on open source communities? What's your advice so far? Sure. So it, it's a great time. It, you know, security as a field has been growing and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. So if people want to get into it, it's a great time. I would say focus on your interests and, and find a particular, security is a very broad area. And so when I've talked to individuals who, who want to get into it, they always ask like, how do I get into you know, security with, with air quotes? And, and my response usually is, well, what kind of security? Do you want to do offensive penetration testing? Do you want to do you know, application defense? Do you want to work on you know, securing operating systems or applications? or do you want to write tools? There's, there's a huge number of different types of security, uh, including things like auditing and compliance that require completely different skill sets. So I usually recommend that individuals start by thinking about what kind of work they want to do every single day and then start training. Uh, I think trying to be highly technical is, is always useful. And, and the areas that I usually recommend to focus on are programming, system administration, particularly Linux, but, but Windows is also pretty helpful. Um, and, and those are really the key skills that, that you can build. So having a role in one of those two areas uh, and then trying to work security in is a good way to bridge into security into the, the next job. Because um, security tends to be uh, better when it's coming from experience in a variety of different areas. Uh, when it comes to helping to contribute to no open source tools, I'd say just, just go out there and find one that you like and, and start contributing. An easy way to start is to find an open issue that looks like it's pretty small and easy. and then uh, just try to fix it or comment on it uh, or reach out to, to authors. I found that authors are generally very welcoming to new individuals who want to help contribute. Um, and, and the help is always wanted. So at least in the, the projects I've worked on and contributed to, uh, you know, help is, is always welcome. Thanks, Sally, for, for sharing your experience and sharing your journey with uh, NoSQL and your thoughts on privacy. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you in the next one.